0: So yeah, the talk of, or the conversation of impermanence, right? And the perception of impermanence uh, was your question and is my topic for this evening. Um, Because I think perception is really interesting, you know? Uh, And impermanence. Impermanence is one of the three characteristics that led to the Buddha's uh, awakening. So out of the three characteristics, the first being dukkha, right, suffering. The second being uh, uh, anicca, a- impermanence, right, the arising and passing away of all things. And then uh, the third being what's called anatta, or a no self. There's no fixed, permanent, stable self, right, or anything, actually. Uh, but we're included, not separate from. And so the realization of those three characteristics is quite simple, actually, and one on an intellectual level. You all know that things arise and pass away, right? But living in the freedom of that is a completely different experience, right? Like, Kind of like the, the, the question that, that came up about impermanence and is it okay? So the Buddha spoke often of the importance of impermanence, right? Of a Nietzsche. In just about every teaching that he gave, he spoke about seeing the ever-changing phenomena, seeing the way everything arises and passes away. I, I directed you specifically in the breath, seeing the arising and passing away of each breath. And we do it all day long, but do we notice every one of them living and dying? Every cell, you know, every tear, every whatever, you know? Every mouthful of food arising and passing away. Every feeling, every emotion, every bowel movement, everything. So, the Buddha's words on this topic now, Bhikkhus, right, which means monks. Yeah. When the perception of impermanence is developed and cultivated, it eliminates all sensual craving all cravings for existence. It eliminates all ignorance. It uproots all conceit. I am. When the perception of impermanence is developed and cultivated. So basically, when the perception of impermanence is developed and cultivated, one comes to complete liberation of heart and mind. That's pretty deep right like that's basically like the buddha's promise you know so eliminates all sensual craving this is the idea of i used to have a weird thing about the word sensual i'd be like oh like what we 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 can't have fun we can't be sexual is that what they saying like i can't want no it's the clinging to having things be more or less It's, it's not enjoying what's present, right? It's the clinging. The desire to have things be other than they are. The wishing I had a better body or whatever, more hair or, you know, whatever it is, you know. More food, more money, more this, more that. Sensual pleasures. Feeling good. Wanting to feel good more and more and more. This is our problem. This is what we're addicted to. The Buddha is really clear, right? Eliminate all sensual craving. Not essential enjoyment, just craving. All craving for existence, right? So, in other words, wanting to live forever, right? Or, or wanting to create the the idea of self over and over again to eliminate ignorance, right? So, this is by developing and cultivating uh, wisdom. So it uproots all conceit. Conceit uh, in the Buddhist uh, language, in the Pali language, is, uh, is called manna. And manna means conceit. And it means comparing mind also. And it also can mean like kind of uh, judgment. So it's also saying, uh, uh, by developing the perception of impermanence, we can see how it's all illusion. Like, no, don't cling. Cling and suffer. The, the idea of comparing you and me suffering nothing good comes of that you know? so and the conceit uh, of I am I am better I am less I am you know permanent there's kind of the list goes on so the perception of impermanence is of particular interest right and this is what I'm going to be focusing mostly on So basically, what the Buddha is kind of pointing to um, is the accurate perception. And this is the nature of insight. The accurate perception. We have perceptions all the time. And the Buddha was really clear. Yeah, we have perceptions. Most of us have inverted or perverted perception of reality. I'll explain more. So perception is one of the five aggregates, okay? The five aggregates is um, what comprises human beings from the Buddhist uh, you know, psychology, from the Buddhist teaching. So there's mental form. I mean, sorry, there's material form. Material form is what we call a body, right? Or this bell, or this table. All form, material form. This uh, rupa, right? Rupa Buddha is called. Rupa means form. This is a form of a Buddha, statue of a Buddha. Not real, right? We could say it's not. It's not a Buddha. It's a replica. Right? It's a form, and maybe that's what the Buddha looked like. I don't even really know, you know. But our perception, we see it and we go, "Oh, Buddha." Even people that don't know anything about Buddhism, they're like, "Oh, that's a Buddha." But it's not a Buddha. It's a form. That then we perceive as being a Buddha. Or this is not... What do I call it? It's not a bell. We perceive it as a bell. We give value of it as a bell. So it becomes a bell. right? And when we... Oh, a bell. That's the perception. So there's material form... And then the rest is feeling tone, um, which is when we hear the bell, we have a a feeling of oh that pleasant or unpleasant, right? depending right? On, on what our association is, right? depending on our perception, basically. So we have a, a contact with the form, and then there's the the feeling tone, the perception. There's the mental formations, which is kind of what we then think about it, or what we then kind of remember about it. The serend, or the statue, or whatever. Right, And then there's the consciousness that comes kind of as a result. So the Buddha called these the aggregates, right, which basically means heap or lump of parts. So that's a whole nother talk to actually break all of those down and get into them. But I'm going to really specifically focus on perception today for the amount of time we have left. So perception uh, is to is the seeing or the recognizing, the labeling uh, based on past, based on memory, based on past experiences, right? We have the uh, capability of doing this. This is one of the things that actually separates us from uh, from other other beings you know, and uh, other animals. And there, you know, to get break it down, like whether or not dogs and cats, you know, obviously there's some kind of cognitive memory, there's some kind of ability to recognize, right? Um, but to actually perceive what's happening in a moment, I don't know. I don't know. The brain doctors haven't quite figured that one out yet. They say, no, dogs, cats, can't do that. They don't have the ability to have moment-to-moment awareness. That they just are. But they don't have the discernment quality. The, the perceiving. <coughs> so, one of the ways that, that this works is that we... There's light and movement and color and sound. And we impute perception. Right? We, we have, based on past experiences, based on, like, who told you the sky is blue? Who told you? Someone. Because the sky ain't blue. But we believe it's blue. Right? And we look at it and we go, oh, blue. How do we know that's the color blue? Because all based on perception. Someone else, you know, from a, another part of the world or another planet even might call it a totally different thing. So this is the, the part of perception. Right? So Ajahn Samedo, uh, uh one of the Thai, um, kind of American Thai Buddhist masters. Um, I don't know if he considered consider himself a master. He might. He's like an old dude. He's been, been doing it for a long time. He's pretty awake. And I asked him what, what consciousness was at <laughs> one time. And he was like, consciousness is the reality of here and now. That's it. And there's all, all this like lofty, like consciousness is this and that. No, consciousness is just the reality of here and now. And so, be present. And we can be awake. Which is kind of like what you were talking about in the back. I forget your name. What's your ben. name? Ben. ben, yeah. You were talking about, you know, just being conscious of what's happening here and now like, over, like continuously as much as possible that that's the goal and perception is the key to really kind of understanding this right? this understanding of, of uh, impermanence and suffering and all of it. it's the key to the eightfold path the eightfold path is the Buddha's step by step plan uh, medicine medicine For us to become liberated from our own suffering. So the Eightfold Path, this first piece is called Right View. Which is, this is seeing things as they really are. Which seems like, oh yeah, I do that all the time. No, we don't. We don't. It's like that part in The Matrix. It's one of my favorite movies. And it's so real. Where like everything is fantasy after uh, Keanu, whatever his name is, the one or whatever takes the the red pill or the, I think it's the blue pill he takes, right? And can't and he just wakes up to reality. But before that, it was all an illusion, and reality wasn't pretty, right? That that's kind of the what the Buddha really was pointing to is like there is beauty, of course, inherent in all things. There is also suffering inherent in all things, and we get to choose based on perception, which is which. So impermanence can seem like, no way, like I don't want that. I, you know. And most of us, as a matter of fact, all, over and over again, I, I hear, I don't like change. I don't like things changing. <laughs> Try and stop it, mm-hmm. right? And then there's suffering, because that's what we're doing all the time, trying to stop suffering, trying to stop change, rather. Versus kind of embracing it. So, seeing accurately or perceiving accurately uh, the constantly changing nature of all things. This is, you know, this is what the Buddha pointed to again and again. And of course, we're not always seeing the changing nature. We have moments. All of us, whether you're the first time meditating or you've been doing it for twenty years, you know. We all we all can see, we all can intellectually, oh yeah, you know, all things change, you know. I used to be little and now I'm bigger, you know, whatever. I once didn't have a job and now I have a job. You know, things change. And so we can see if we can. it's like we can pull back a little bit. Oh yeah, get a little perspective, right? We can see. So the Buddha was a realist, right? And he encouraged people to see things as they really are and not be swept away by the fantasy of the mind. And uh, you might have had a little fantasy in your mind during meditation today. It happens quite often. So this is what the Buddha pointed to again and again. Insight is this perception shift. When we... When we get when we begin to see, oh yeah. Like not only do I see the impermanence, I actually can experience it in the breath. Or in a moment. This is the perception shift. And it gets pretty scary sometimes. Uh, which is maybe a lot of the reason why we don't want to stay there. Why we don't want things to change. Because it's scary to know that things are changing all the time. It's kind of yeah, it's kind of crazy. So, one of the things I like to talk about is the nature of things don't actually change. Just our perception does. That actually, and this is, again, what the Buddha was talking about, like seeing things as they really are. All the things are happening the way they're going to be happening, regardless of whether you're aware of it or not. And actually, regardless of whether or not you cling to it or not. It's all going to play itself out. The world will keep spinning as long as it keeps spinning. You know, and it might stop spinning someday. And if we actually fool, I mean, and based on the Buddhist law, it will. Because all things change. Or maybe it'll spin the other direction or something. I don't know. You know I have no idea. It's uncertain. But the important thing is to not get spun out in our own minds about the perception of impermanence, but really to just try to experience it because intellectualizing is not helpful. And the Buddha was really clear about that. Don't think yourself into being spiritual because then you're just going to be you know, arrogant <laughs> and actually ignorant, <laughs> usually. Because in, in, unless you can really experience something, and know it's true for you. Like don't even believe what I'm saying to you right now. Like if it's not true for you, toss it out. It's bullshit. Know it for yourself. And I love that the Buddha taught from that place. Of this is not a, a theological discussion about you know the universe. This is about freedom from your own insanity. So, because you can only perceive what you can perceive in the moment, right? We can. I, I say often that uh, more will be revealed, right? So, if you're new to this and this sounds a little like, you know, way out there, it's okay. More will be revealed. Right? Uh, I love that statement because it's so true. <laughs> you know, like just breathe in and out, try to be as present as you can, and more will be revealed. I spent years not ever studying anything about Buddhism. I didn't even know about Buddhism. I knew how to meditate. I learned how to meditate. I didn't know anything about you know the this kind of Buddhism and the that kind of Buddhism and the you know the story of the Buddha. I just thought he was like some big fat dude that was like all happy all the time. That's what I thought, you know. Because I'd go into a Chinese restaurant and I'd see a big Buddha and I'd rub his belly and you know throw a little little change, a couple pennies, you know. I thought, that, uh, it's Buddhism. Yeah. I had no idea. More has been revealed. <laughs> so the Buddha spoke of the uninstructed. Uh, actually, it was called, in the suttas, it's called the uninstructed worldlings, right? Uh, which basically means kind of non monastics. Uh, Uninstructed people, uninstructed lay people, um, having inverted perception, right? Which means assuming permanence, seeing the body as self, seeing things as solid, steady. And some of the examples that I think of with this is, um, you know, in two years, I'll be and like be really certain, you know, like in two years, I'll be done with graduate school, you know, and know that that's true. I have no idea if that's true. You know? But we have a tendency to do that, right? And there's some functionality to it. I mean, we have to plan our lives. But also, it's important, as, as Ajahn Chah says, uh, Ajahn Chah was another, actually was Ajahn Somedos. Ajahn means teacher, or like venerable teacher monk, you know? And um, Ajahn Chah would say, un, you know, life is uncertain. There's uncertainty in all things. I could, I can assume that I'm going to wake up tomorrow and I'll be, you know, in my bed and I, you know, I have my truck and you know this and that, and, you know. But really, I have no idea. It's all uncertain. And to to plan for your life, but also to hold that piece of uncertainty is is part of the the perception of impermanence. To not not uh, assume that it's going to be the way we planned because more than likely it's ever anything but the way we planned as my life has shown me <laughs> time and time again. I had no idea I'd be sitting in front of a group of people talking about Buddhism you know what I mean like, I thought I'd be a multi-millionaire by now lead singer of a punk band or something. that's what I was <laughs> planning I don't know what happened So again, yeah, this is is not an, an, uh, an intellectual process, right? So why do we cling? Why do we cling to permanence? I think this is the other way. I mean, so there's this perception. We have an inverted perception based on wanting things to be stable, safe, exactly. Fear, yeah, safety. Right? Change is scary, and if we start to really notice all of the instability around us all the time, we get we, we you all have been smacked with instability, no doubt. You've lived this amount of time in life; you've been smacked maybe a few times with the uncertain nature, the constantly changing nature of all things. But sometimes it takes a real you know like someone dying or like you know a relationship ending or you know, being fired from a job or something to go, whoa. Wow. Can't really bet on that, can you? So even though we know about impermanence, we still cling. Like this is the suffering that the Buddha is saying, relieve yourself from. You have the choice. Let go. Uh, Noah, one of my uh, teachers and friends, says often often that uh, when we cling in the mind, it's like getting rope burned. You know, when we're when we're clinging to anything, it's like getting rope burn in the mind, which is basically a definition of suffering. So, clinging. It's not like we are stupid and we just are like, Oh yeah, you know, I'm just gonna cling to this. No, we do it because of safety, because of fear. Because it's the only strategy that we've had. That there is a belief that we I think that we have, you know, that clinging is the way for us to try to find peace and ease, right? But it keeps the dis ease going. It keeps the, the dissatisfaction going. The mind likes stability, right? It doesn't like change. And one of the things that one of my clinical supervisors used to say all the time is uh, uh, that we get stuck in familiar, predictable, safe, and painful. Again and again, familiar, predictable, safe, and painful. That this is the clinging to things not changing. Uh, uh, and they call it a rut, you know? When you're in a relationship, route or a job rut or whatever, because of fear, you know, you know, familiar, predictable, safe and painful. So if we can learn to kind of shift our perception, right, holding on versus letting go, right, clinging is a fear of the instability. It also leads into what's called identity view: I am this way. Right? So we cling on, we hold on to that because it's all we've known. What if we're not? What if we're totally different? Because chances are, you know, we will be. I'm pretty different than I was—not totally, but pretty different than I was, say, ten years ago, for sure. So the the not having a fixed identity view is also part of this right view in the in the uh, in the eightfold path in the Buddhist teaching. And so letting and by seeing impermanence in the moment or in um you know in life. Over periods of time, or even in retrospect, sometimes it can be helpful. Uh, By by doing this, we're we're gaining more of that freedom—freedom from, not freedom to. Right? Uh, There's this this idea of you know, in this country, I have the freedom to you know bear arms. I have the freedom to do what I want. You know, and, and that's in some ways clinging to an identity. But freedom from is kind of the opposite. It's really letting go. I have the freedom from attachment. I have the freedom uh, from the the identity of self. Okay. Which really, it's scary. Terrifying, in fact. Um, and also can be really peaceful and calm. If you can move through it. Through the fear. So the Buddha... Uh, Spoke to kind of this idea. Of kind of clinging and fear. um, Constantly kind of looking. And uh, his words are. The search for a resting place is burning. Not to need one is cool and peaceful. The search for a resting place is burning. So the idea of that there is something. Where I can rest. In that's stable and permanent and always going to be a shelter is actually burning. It's what causes the suffering. But the not needing to, right? That that's where the coolness and that's where the peace and ease can come from. So it's a little bit like, again, shifting the perception. Instead of looking for solid ground, realize that there isn't any. (laughs) And then be okay with floating. You know, reminds me of a story. Think of time. So we cling for safety, um, as if clinging can save us from pain. We cling from safety. I mean, we cling for security, as if clinging can save us from pain. Like, I totally thought that that was true. I thought that for me, like drinking and doing drugs was safety, was security, right? And I thought that it was going to relieve me of pain. And it, of course, it never did. It caused more pain, caused suffering on top of suffering. Uh, and the letting go of that, the non clinging, and the, the letting go of the fear of feeling emotion, <laughs> you know. Or really looking at myself in the mirror. Like that, that was the way through, you know. The knowing that, oh yeah, this too will, will, shall pass, right? This too uh, is impermanent, arising and passing away. So, I don't know, I wrote, I want, then I need, therefore I am. So it's similar to this idea of, of you know, clinging, believing that clinging can save us from pain. So if I want some kind of you know safety and security, and then I start to need it, and then I and I become it, I become that you know that suffering, that that uh, uh, clinging, and this is how the self gets created over and over again, clinging to the idea of permanent self. Now I want to just also back up right here and say that Buddhism is full of paradoxes. Obviously. We have a personality. We have, uh, we've, we, you know, we have a family. We live in this world, right? But there's maybe more to it, and it's the clinging to "I am" that causes that part of suffering. It's and and and, and again, it's a perception shift. This is one of the ways that it's talked about. Um, a monk was walking through a forest and uh, saw a snake. It was like dusk, you know, or dawn, saw a snake and got scared. And then got a little closer and realized it wasn't a snake at all. It was a stick that looked like a snake because his perception was it was a snake because he was in the jungle of Thailand, right? So what, what happened to the stick? Nothing. His perception shifted, right? So the reality of self Nothing's gonna. You're not gonna disintegrate or blow up if you don't believe. If you if you r- realize, oh wow, there is no fixed and permanent self. This body has changed. It will continue to change. It will eventually turn into dust. That's impermanence. By believing somehow that you know this body will live on forever, or that there's a a part that of me. Me that will live on forever is this inverted perception that the Buddha is talking about. Obviously, other uh, religious uh, uh, theologies have a different view, and you know, and that's okay. That's not this one. That's what that actually is—the thing that separates Buddhism from every other uh, philosophy, religion—is this idea of no self. No fixed and permanent self, but even in there is a, is a, a uh, contradiction, because then Buddhism also believes in rebirth, right? So what's being reborn? Well, from the Buddhist perspective, it's after it's your karmic momentum, so it's really your intention. So something, but it's not you, but there is some kind of you know. There's even some ideas of afterlife. You know, heaven, hell. And then there's the, there's the views of the heaven and hell uh, that are really just all in our minds as we cling or push away from what's happening, as we have a distorted perception. So part of the, the shift in, uh, in perceiving impermanence um, is that it's, you know, it's not only is it fearful, but that it's scary. Uh, I already kind of said that. And then, but also, um, if we open up to what is true and we don't cling, then we can find that freedom. And so that's what the Buddha pointed to. So I want to tell just a quick story about uh, how, how difficult this really is again we could talk about it all day long and there's a million examples you can see of impermanence but to live from this example is is what that's the difficulty so the Buddha in the Buddha's life had an attendant his his name was Ananda and Ananda is really like he's like my hero in the Buddhist stories because Ananda was like diligently like present attending the Buddha for his whole 45 years of teaching never became enlightened right But, uh, but he was, oh, he was there for every teaching that the Buddha gave. And actually, the only reason why I can tell this story right now is because Ananda remembered it. Uh, Ananda apparently had, uh, photographic or some kind of, like, crazy mental powers where he could, where he memorized. As many of the monks did in that time, that's how this tradition was carried on. So, he had heard every teaching, you know, from the earliest kind of, uh, uh, monastic order. And um and so at the moment or at the time of of uh, the Buddha's death, right, when he when he had he, he had actually become poisoned, whether it was willingly or unwillingly his you know, opinion. But uh but he knew he was going to die and he started to say to his, you know, his the monks that were following him, you know, I'll, I'll be passing soon. I'll be dying. And Ananda, who, you know, for years and years was his humble servant, um, actually like started to weep, you know, kind of disappeared and went and was crying. And the Buddha, you know, kind of like was like, where is Ananda? As he was giving this talk, because Ananda was always there on his right side, you know. And he and then he kind of in his mind's eye or maybe he just looked over and saw, I don't know, you know, but that that saw that Ananda was weeping. And he said, "Why are you weeping, Ananda?" Oh, of course, he knew. And Ananda was weeping because his his master, his teacher, his beloved, you know, teacher was dying. And uh, and so the Buddha, with humility and with compassion, said, "Oh, Ananda, how many times have I told you, you know, that which arises passes away." Nothing in this world is permanent. Nothing lasts. And even though the even though Ananda had heard every teaching of the Buddha in the time of the Buddha, which was like people were just getting enlightened, you know, they'd hear it. Whoa, I don't know. What, I don't know what, what this means, but that, <laughs> apparently that happened. You know, levitating and all kinds of crazy stuff, right? Mind reading and. All of these powers, and, and, and Ananda had, had, you know, many like, mental faculties that were really conducive to awakening, but he hadn't become fully awakened yet, right? His, and some would say that he was actually a Bodhisattva, you know, that he actually stayed behind to carry the message forward. That was his, his goal. So everything changes and vanishes. This is the you know this is the Buddha's words. Mm-hmm. Everything changes, even my life. As I am born into this world, I will I will die. I'll perish. So His Holiness the Dalai Lama talks about this and saying that oh wait no. Hold this door so the so when we don't see impermanence we assume permanence in the future right the, the Dalai Lama talked about this we don't actually notice the momentariness of change we don't actually notice the momentariness of change and that this is again a uh, uh, Causing the suffering. That there is absolutely no st- no stasis. Nothing is not changing. And so how do we see this in our lives? Right. How do we see this in our lives? Seeing how our lives have changed over time. Trying to stay as present as we can. Uh, even just paying attention to each breath as it arises and passes away. Right? Sensations in the body as they arise and pass away. And that this... Uh, will lead to our, our continued uh, uh, liberation, you know, to our freedom from suffering. So some of the things to look out for, and then I'll end, um, is inattention, right? Giving attention to what's happening, not, not spacing out. This is what we need to kind of be looking at, be working on. So... Um, so inattention or, or misattention hides impermanence. So we begin to believe that, that oh yeah, you know. It's, it happens really subtly. Like things are going to be just the way I want them to be. You know, the fantasy, when I'm not being swept away in the fantasy. So why do we want this? Why do we want to change our perception? Of impermanence, you know that kind of that ignorance is bliss idea. Well, if we just stay in ignorance, because if we stay in ignorance, we continue to suffer. And suffering, by suffering, I mean stress, I mean anxiety, I mean uh, every time we meet the reality of change, we will cause ourselves distress. And so, um, from this Buddhist perspective. That when we kind of let go, that it frees our heart and our mind, and we actually are more connected to not only uh, uh, you know our experience of life, but to others. When when there's not a kind of a wall like plexiglass, you know. So this is kind of uh, this is why. You know, in my experience. Is that um, you know we can have moments you know I've had moments of uh, oh yeah like I really see the impermanence but it doesn't last right? because I'm not enlightened but it gets but the, this is the idea of practice is that it becomes a little bit it's like uh, inclining the mind towards this perception shift so by hearing this maybe something I said was helpful. Uh, might cause a bit of a shift. Oh, like, wow, I never looked at it that way, you know? Like, I remember the first time that somebody said, like, the sky is not blue. And I was like, no, it's blue. Is it blue all the time? Well, no. Uh, then what? Then it's not always blue, is it? And it's not actually blue. And then this whole thing, right, about how it's the reflection of the ocean, and yada, yada, yada. And I was like, oh, I had never known that, you know? And so that's the idea of more will be revealed. If we just keep the the simple practice of moment to moment awareness. So I was sitting uh, on this retreat. I'll end here. I was sitting on this retreat uh, a few months back. It was like you know a month and a half into the retreat. So I was like you know levitating and no, (laughs) I I was but I wasn't as struggling. With this kind of idea of uh, impermanence, as I as I was maybe in the beginning of the tree, and uh, I was sitting on this bench and I was just kind of look, I was just looking out on this hill, and it was like I could see the grass grow and I could see the clouds move, and then the birds were there, and it was just there was like little lizards and just life was happening right in front of my eyes, moment after moment after moment, and it wasn't like I was you know. Uh, seeing anything that I didn't look at all the time. It's just I realized in that moment, wow, it's all happening right now. And so that was that's ultimately what we're talking about here. When we can shift our perception so that we can see it. And you can do that, all of you are quite capable. So my hope is that you'll actually uh, investigate into this idea of what is true. So I'm going to end there.